Welcome back to the Bible Talks with Josh and Heather. The Bible Talks is a show that discusses theology in an easy-to-understand way. So maybe you're interested in theology, but you don't consider yourself a deep theologian. That's okay. This is the show for you. We're Josh and Heather Tice. We minister to and lead Southern Hills Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Uh, you can find this episode and previous ones on iTunes Podcast or on KVXL 101.1 Experience Liberty Radio. We always start with something fun. Are you ready, Josh? Hey, I, Heather, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. This is episode 12 on the Bible Talks, and today we start with this fun question. We always do something fun at the beginning, right? Absolutely. Because there are new listeners. There's somebody right now listening and they're like, I've missed 11 of these. Yeah. And yeah, you have. It's episode 12. And you we got to binge start... listen. <laughs> That's right. We always start with something <laughs> funny. <laughs> binge listen. Like yeah. this is uh, Netflix. It is. It's that good. That's you you good. won't be able to stop. You'll be like, I'm just going to listen to one before work. And then before you know it, you've called in sick. Right. You've grown a beard. Right. It's five days later. Right, you know. and there's only 11 episodes, which are half hour apiece, so if you take five <laughs> days to listen to these 11 episodes... They have to take time afterwards to meditate on each one, so <laughs> <laughs> review it. Let me listen that again, take notes. Well, there's Pausing so much it. deep theology <laughs> in practical ways. Yeah. Okay, fun question for today. What fashion from another period would you love to wear? Do you wish it was in today that you were huh. wearing? Okay, I've never, I've never thought about this. I'm definitely going Victorian era, hat. Coat, England, um, the whole deal. Yes, Victorian Wait, is that England. Like the top hat, the stovepipe. Like, um, hat? I'm. You know what? I wasn't prepared for this question because I don't know. I'm gonna Google it because I said Victorian England, but I'm definitely yeah. That's my answer. Victorian England. So you would wear gloves. Yeah, I. I'm thinking cane, monocle, You're top hat. Dickens, aren't you? I'm cane, monocle, like you know, Mr. Peanut. Mr. Peanut. <laughs> That's your dream. Yeah, I want to dress like Mr. Peanut. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Victoria, yeah. Th yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I don't have anything else to say about that. I'm trying to think of something interesting to say. I have nothing. Maybe. Like, I'm trying to picture you with the monocle. Like, yeah, like, okay, I'm trying to think um, kind of like Charles Dickens. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, I see the scarf thing, and scarves are in, but you would do hat and gloves. Hat, gloves. I'm you want talking, a cane? Yeah, I want a cane. I want a monocle. Um, I want. Uh, a, I, I thought want you big, were going to go for big the seventies lamb chops, I like all the go. way down my beard. Oh, nice! I thought yeah. you were going to go for the seventies, like seventies. Yeah, like you would be like the hippies. No, and, you know the flowered shirts. No, just chilling. You really think that's that's what I would do? <laughs> no. Tie dye. No, I just think that'd be hilarious to see you dress like that because I know that's so far from your style. No, I, I, I need, I want a big flowing, fl uh, flowing scarf coming around the, the bottom of my chin. That's what I want. Okay. You know, silky I scarf say, yeah. under my chin. That's what, that was in fashion. And a mustache. Yeah. A mustache? And lamb chops. Yes. I don't think the mustache was there. Yeah. No, that's what yeah, I, that's, the lamb I think chops be, were there, but. I think it'd be great. And a corset. A corset? Wait, that feels oddly personally directed to your wife. Well, men wear, men don't wear them. I know. I know. That's my point. So I'm just saying a corset. You're saying I need a corset? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I'm looking at fashion right now on Google, Victorian England fashion. All I can think about now is my waistline. I can't go through with this podcast 
I think I'm going to need a minute. All right. I'll, I'll just dress <laughs> like a hippie. Okay. <laughs> See, they were the comfortable ones. They had the flowy skirts. They no were. They look really, the they really, really comfortable, don't they? Oh, no. Yeah. But that's not what I'm going with. My uh, era of choice would be I'm going to go vintage 40s and 50s. I love those. I love, you know, the, ah, the gloves, the pillbox hats, but the, yeah, the A-line, yeah. the really cute necklines, and yes, I'm going to go 40s and 50s. You I'm don't want to break your ribs. Whole thing. You don't want to break your ribs and no. tie a corset around you and Why make all of your- Why are you bringing up your... the corset again? Because it's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these corsets, and- You're looking at corsets right now? Well, You better it, not be looking at corsets right now. I looked now. up Victorian England Show fashions. Show me your computer. All right, here you go. Okay. Men never get embarrassed if your wife says, "Let me see your computer." Okay, it's all appropriate, right. but it's weird it that you're blockers. looking at. Yeah. Well, I wanted to see what men wore because I was thinking Charles Dickens. Men don't Dickens. wear corsets. No, no, I've learned that. Yeah. And so to keep bringing it up makes me feel very insecure. All right, I'm done. Okay, <laughs> that was supposed way, to be a very fun question. If this is, and it was not. If this is your first episode. You've probably already turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We haven't even got to the real and discussion. And you know what? If this is not your first episode, can I just say, well done. Yes, you thank you for keeping You have persevered. Listen each You're time. Our hero. No, you said 1950s. Really? Like, that's it? That's your style? 1950s? Yeah, and, and yeah. 40s. I like the 40s too. 40s oh, and 50s. 40s, blending yeah. Blending them together. Huh. Yeah. I like that classic era. We live in a sloppy day and age, and I don't help. You know what I mean? Like, right now, my t- shirt's untucked. I'm not yeah. wearing a tie. I think I am the problem. I think you're pretty stylish, though. Oh, thank you. You do good. You don't look grubby. Yeah, but I think we're going to get a top hat. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, uh, this is episode 12, and today we're going to discuss the sovereignty of God. Yeah, the sovereignty of God. This is one that we've been both looking forward to, actually. You told me you were looking forward to it, right? I was, but just this morning, I was given a very stern warning oh, sheesh. that this is an episode that is not to be taken lightly, that it must be presented in All a right, right fashion or it's going to be heresy. So watch my tongue. I, it did not come across. Okay, it came across wrong. What I said was <laughs> this <laughs> is a topic that deserves said. a little bit more, uh, a little less, bre- uh, uh, you know, uh, levity, a little bit more seriousness. It's the sovereignty of God we're talking what are about. What saying about and our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> specifically Nothing. one person's contribution to the podcast. <laughs> Honey, there are literally dozens of people. <laughs> dozens of people. <laughs> Thank you. That might be an overestimate there. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> um, but of those who are listening, they want to know about the sovereignty of God. And, and I was just saying it's a serious topic. People discuss it all the time. In fact, it gets highly debated. Yes. Uh, f- uh, sophomores in Bible college get very serious about this. And uh, that sophomoric attitude sometimes even goes into uh, people's 20s and 30s. But it is a fascinating discussion, but one that should be discussed. How does the sovereignty of God inter- interrelate uh, with uh, the scriptures and with the free will of man? So let's talk about the sovereignty of God. Okay, now I'm really nervous to do so. What I thought would be a fun topic, one that we used to discuss a lot now, has brought fear into my little, sweet, small heart. <laughs> okay okay well, that that's great look that's our disclaimer folks you heard it dc so i know that there will be of the people listening i wouldn't say it that way well relax you know what this is clearly not albert muller's 
briefing, okay? This is clearly not a deep theological discussion. This is Josh and Heather's Bible talks. And I'm not going to say anything because yeah. I don't want to mess it up. That's not true. <laughs> You're going to talk through this and we're going to have a good time. And for those who are listening, like we said, that don't consider themselves deep theologians, this will be a helpful And my discussion. brother's probably listening and cracking up right now when I said I'm not going to say anything. He knows that will never last. That's true. We all know this. Okay, so let's begin with the definition of the sovereignty of God. Heather, what's the definition we have for the sovereignty of God? Sovereignty is the absolute right or power that God has to run the universe. Um, he wants, because he can do whatever he wants, because he created it for his own purpose and glory. That's exactly right. So sovereignty is God's right to do what he wants uh, with what is his. Okay. Right? Sounds now, good. where do we get this concept? We get this concept from from the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew chapter 20, verse 15 says, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with what is mine own? It's a good question. Um, if it's God's, the world and all that's in it, is it not um, up to him to do whatever he wants with it? So the question is, can God be sovereign? And the question then further is, is God completely and utterly in control of all things? And our answer would be yes, we believe he is ultimately in control of all things. That's his sovereignty. Okay, so what is the extent of God's sovereignty then? Where does it begin? Where does it end? That's the question. That's the thing that gets debated. Yeah, it is. Okay, so the extent of God's sovereignty. Well, we can go to the scripture for much of this. For example, God controls the universe. Uh, we would say God controls plant and animal creation. God controls all the nations. Um, when it comes to God controlling the universe itself, uh, the world is held together by Christ, right? The, the world itself of the universe was created by God. Well, yeah, and Job brings up a lot about creation where yeah. he and God are talking. Actually, God brings it up in the book of Job where God is speaking to Job, and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And, you know, when I measured this out, when I, I laid the cornerstone of the earth. And um, Psalms, the psalmist talks about the Lord sending forth his word to melt the snow, frost, and ice, and causing the wind to blow and the waters to flow. Right, Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. He said that the father of the father uh, of the children, that is the father, father God, um, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sendeth rain to the just and the unjust. The idea is, God is the one who is ultimately in control of the very running of the universe. He is the one who set it in motion. Like you brought up weeks ago about being a deist, we believe that God is the one who set it in motion, but he's also the one who sustains it. He continues to control it. And so we believe that he controls the entire universe. Not only does he control the entire universe, he controls plant and animal creation. Like, um, not just the, the... So when you say he controls them, do you mean that he is right now directing every lion where to go? That's a great question. <laughs> that, that's, that's a great... Well, look, there are a few scriptures, and then we'll debate it. The scriptures that we have would be like Jonah. What does the Bible say about Jonah? The Bible says that God prepared a great fish to go and swallow Jonah. The just Bible say a well. You know you want to. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I know it says well in the New Testament. The Old Testament says great fish. I agree well that it was a well. It doesn't say well. It doesn't say well in the New Testament. Yes, it does. Jesus what? himself says the word well. Yeah. Not W-E-L-L. Like the Ladies woman and gentlemen, at the well. it is time to I'm Google I'm talking about W-H-A-L-E-L. Yeah. yeah, and the word in the Greek means a well. <laughs> what? I think it's always a great fish. Jesus But we know a great fish is a whale. Well. What kind of well was it? Matthew chapter 12, 12 and verse 40. What does it say? 
What version are you reading from? King James is, Version. Is this the messy, the messy King James Version? version. <gasps> the King James Translator says whale. Wow. The King James Translators wow. translated the word whale. Wow. Yeah. Oh, sea monster. Right. I can't buy into that. There, what they say is in the Greek, in the ancient Greek, there was no word for whale. But by the time the King James translators came around, everybody knew it was a whale because that's what Big Flannel Graph had said. Big Flannel Graph, he's calling him out again. Man, you're gonna have a hit on you. Big Flannel Graph. The King James is the only one that says whale. Graph is gonna put a hit out on you for all these comments (laughs) he keep making. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast now, if Josh Tice is killed. Very soon, and there's a murder, and he mis- disappears I'm tired It's of, Big Flannel Graph. I'm sick and tired of you know. Big Flannel <laughs> being the one who controls the American evangelical culture. You, you know, know and I they mean? always make it like a blue well or a gray well. It's never like a killer well, which is why I kind of like to think it was. Yeah. Because they're pretty. <laughs> okay. Okay, moving on. So what, what did Jonah say about the whale? The Bible says <laughs> that Jonah said, look, God prepared a great fish. So the, I, yes. the question going but back is But did God this. make all the whales? Yeah, of course he made all of them, but does he control each and every aspect? That's That's a great question. Matthew chapter 6 says, the fowls of the air, the heavenly father feeds them. So is he controlling their wings as they fly down and grab a hold of those? I would say that God is ultimately in control of all plant life, ultimately in control of all animals. But is he micromanaging every aspect of that? That's where the debate uh, rises and falls. That's a great Mm. question. So are we going to tackle that now? No, we're not. No, I don't think so. I think we're going to move on. We're going to wait to the end. The extent of but God's we will sovereignty. discuss it, folks. <laughs> he, it's coming. He is not ultimately only in control of the universe, plant life and animal creation, but also the, the nations of the world. Now, this is interesting because we think, oh, m- man is going to determine what happens within the nations. But the Bible says that in Job chapter 12, it says, He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighten them, straighteth, uh, straightens them out again. The idea is, well, the USA, it's amazing because we're such a strong and powerful nation. Well, God is the one who raised us up to be a strong and powerful nation. And the moment God wants to pull us down, he will. That's clearly outlined in the book of Job. And there are some great passages on that. Um, A couple that I'd like to think of is one that we quote quite a bit. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will as rivers of water. And it's just the idea that the Lord can take someone in power who thinks they're so great and mighty and totally make them a servant. When we studied the book of Esther, there is um, a king that God uses, and it's this wicked, terrible king that's uh, it's in the beginning of Esther, the the prelude before we get to Esther's story, and uh, I think uh, it, it calls him the shepherd. He's my shepherd over my flock of my people, and it's just amazing because this king had no idea that the decisions he was making were God's plan for his people. I love it. You're right. It's like the Psalm number twenty two that says, "For the kingdom." is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. You say, well, who's the king's king? Or should we say the king of kings? And the answer is the Lord Almighty, Jehovah God. He is the one who controls. You say, well, can't they do whatever they want? There's an aspect of free will that we'll discuss in a moment, but ultimately when it comes to world changing uh, uh, the course of the world and, and, and world events, God is in control of those things. But not just of nations. He's also sovereign over a man or a woman's life. And this is one that brings me great comfort is that my days are established by God, that not one breath can be breathed beyond what he and his good plan for me is allowing me to breathe. Yeah, you're just not talking about your life. You're talking about your lifespan specifically. Yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, the Bible says that um, every in God's hand is the soul of every living thing in the breath of all mankind. It says he numbers our days that mm. we can't, you know, I can't take my life. No one can take my life beyond what God allows him to. Um, so you believe, and I would agree, that there is a birth date for every human yes. soul and also a death date for or every rapture human date. soul. <laughs> <laughs> or rapture date. And yes. so this is a beautiful concept. So we really would say heavily we believe deeply in the sovereignty of God, that God is ultimately, and I think that's a key word, ultimately in control of all things. And that goes back to a theology lesson we talked about before about believing that God is good. If you really know God and believe that he's good, the fact that he's in control yeah. brings great comfort. The fact that you don't have to fear death, even the death of a loved one, a parent, a spouse, as hard as that is, you can take comfort knowing that God in his goodness allowed this. And we're going to get to that conversation. It's so hard not to get there already, but that God, this is part of his plan. He's allowed it. He could have stopped it, whether he controlled it or not right so he is in control of all things but we haven't really answered yes. the the question of why like why is god in control of all things and the answer is very simple for his glory he controls all things for his glory psalm 115 verse 3 says but our god is in the heavens he hath done whatsoever he hath whatever whatsoever he hath pleased that is god does what he wants to do because he is god mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes we as rebellious humans sit back and say but why and the answer is because he wants to because he's god one of the most beautiful truths of life is getting to the point where you understand god is god and you are not yes and it takes the pressure off when you don't have to be. You don't have to figure these things out. You don't have to worry about them. I, I don't mean that we're not conscientious. Right, but that God the is Lord, in control. Yes. The prophet Isaiah said, for mine own sake, even mine own sake, will I do it. God speaking through Isaiah saying, I, I will do it for my own sake. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. That is, I do what I do for myself and for my own sake. Now, mm -hmm. if a human said that, uh, you would look and say, well, why, why so selfish? And the answer is God is completely selfless, but he does what he does for his own glory, and he will not share his glory with another. A fascinating, amazing mm -hmm. concept when it comes to the sovereignty of You know what I think of, of when it comes to that concept of for his glory and the sovereignty of God? Mm. I think about the man that Jesus healed. Remember the disciples were yeah. saying, who sinned? Who sinned that this man was born blind? And what did Jesus say? It wasn't his parents' sin. It wasn't his, but for the glory of God. Mm, mm. God chose this path for him, and it's a good path because he is going to be used for a special purpose to bring glory to God. So that leads us to the question and the debatable uh, discussion that people have, Ooh, right? Here we go. And that is, are there limitations on God's sovereignty? Now, the strict... Um, the strict uh, individual who might say, man, I just believe fully in the sovereignty of God and there are no limitations uh, would really heavily maybe disagree where we're going with this. But I would say, yes, there are limitations on God's ultimate control of all things. Yeah, and I'm giving you the look. Yeah. And our viewers, viewers, I keep saying viewers, our listeners can't view us. Yeah. They can't see this, but here's why I'm giving Josh... The look. Yeah. It's because early in our marriage, we used to fight over this. Yes. Like majorly. And then if I remember correctly, Josh, we finally one day as we got better at communicating, realized that we really were more on the same page with what we strongly believed as passionate people. But we just were saying it in different ways. Yeah. Is that what you recall? 
I do remember that. And in fact, some listeners right now might be th- thinking to themselves, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying that God's sovereignty is limited? Yes. So are you saying that man can limit God's sovereignty? No. No. See, I don't believe, and we don't believe that man, God's sovereignty is limited by man, but that God limits his own sovereignty. What, what we would say is this. God is so powerful and so sovereign that he could limit his sovereignty and still ultimately be in control of all things. That is, God is so powerful, he can limit his sovereignty and allow man a free will and still be ultimately in control of all things. That's how powerful we believe God is. And so we're going to attempt to explain that theological concept. Right. And that's a big one. And i, I got to be honest, I've struggled with this even in other Bible talks, podcasts we've had. I don't like the term limit when it comes to God. Mm. And we've, we've kind of talked about this before. I do agree with the main concept that you're going towards, but the idea that God is limited, even if he limits himself, I would probably express it a different way. Um, And when we get into the concept, what we're talking about is, does God make every single thing happen? Did God make you get a flat tire today? (laughs) Did God make that dog get sick? Or, you know, did God, or did God allow it? Right. And that's the question. Did God allow those butter fling, butter, butter, uh, Butterflings. <laughs> Butterflings. <laughs> Did God allow the wings of that butterfly to flap so that it affected these other things um, with the theory of the butterfly effect? And the, the question that the answer to that question is, I would say, yes, God allows each and every one of those things. And that's a great question. And we're going to get to the concept of and the allowance of God. I think that's the God. key, the word allows. Are you trying to but warn I, no. me that I can't get into it now? No, no, no. Because no. I'm well, already there, brother. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're headed there. So I would say... <laughs> If we're going to talk about the limitations of God's sovereignty, we need to express the three aspects of God's limitations. God self-limits. limitations. Let's hmm? find another word. What word do you think would work better than limitations? Allowances. Okay. You use the word allowances. I'll use the word limitations. Okay. I think God can self-limit. And I think the, the three I think God chooses to allow. <laughs> I like that phrasing better. Okay, well, th- then then you can definitely use that, and I'll use mine. Okay, and every time you say limits, I'm going to say allows. That, that won't right be, after. That won't be irritating in the slightest. Nope. All right. I'm seriously going to do it. You think I'm not. I'm no, totally. I, no, I, I, I do not doubt that you will. <laughs> I do not doubt that at all. Okay, so what are they? We would say that there are three specific areas. That is the existence of sin, the free will of man, and the privilege of prayer. There are three specific instances that God limits allows himself the existence of sin, the free will of man, and the privilege of prayer. Let's talk about each of those. First of all, the existence of sin. God did not determine sin's existence, but, but he, he, allowed he allowed it into the universe. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's one that people often question. Why, if God is good, why did he allow sin? If God's really in control... Why is there sin? You know, did he make sin happen? No, God did not make sin happen, but he allowed it. In fact, James even warns us of that. Don't say when you sin or you're tempted to sin, well, God tempted me. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt any man with evil. When we have a struggle um, and we are tempted and drawn toward a sin, it's not God 
who is um, drawing us to that sin. No, that would be antithetical to his character and to his being. No, he doesn't draw us to sin, but he does allow sin. Why? Well, the, the, the answer is God could have made man without the ability to sin. Absolutely could have made us robots that were going to follow his will. And actually, eventually, one day, the plan for mankind is to be completely without sin. And that will in be the eternal In the eternal kingdom. But that was not his plan for this earth. He wanted man to love him by choice and not by force. And so we see the Bible teaches five lessons about God's relationship to sin. Yeah, so sometimes we would say that God permits or allows some sin to fully manifest itself. Can you give an example of that? Right. God allows, sometimes God allows or permits some sin to fully manifest itself. Romans chapter 1 talks about culture and how culture itself will allow sin and develop sin to fully manifest the the corruption of of a culture uh, because that when they knew not God or when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were they thankful but became vain in their imaginations their foolish heart was darkened wherefore God gave them over to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves here the Bible is giving a a, a kind of a pathway of how sin That's enters so into good. a culture and it gets worse and worse and worse and what's happening here did God make that culture terrible did God predetermine and predestine and sovereignly determine that this would be a wicked culture did God destroy uh, what Rome destroyed that is set Rome on a path of destruction no but he permitted sin to, to continue to where it fully would manifest itself why so that we would see that sin brings destruction yeah, and I know this is going to just kill you, but I've got to do a little rabbit trail with this. Don't hate me, okay? Hey, I it's love so you. It's so good. Romans 1, this passage, by the way, when you are struggling with sins around you, sin that you struggle with, um, we've got to realize, we think, how did this, how did our world get to this place? How did people get to this, this moment where they will choose something that's so far from God's plan for them. We think about all manner of fornication. We think about homosexuality and the struggle that is for so many people. And it all starts here with not what you would think. It starts with this passage when people begin to glorify God not for who he is. They don't allow him to be God. And they're not thankful for him. They don't recognize what he's done. They don't recognize that. I could say that's where it does go back into the sovereignty. They don't recognize that God is in control. That he has a good plan. Then it leads them down this path that takes them into all manner of sin. And that's why our world's in the place it is. But I'm pulling the rabbit trail back now. Just had to get that in because it's such a good passage. But that is where we see that God does allow sin to manifest itself. That God does um, permit that. He also prevents some sin. Yeah, he does prevent sin. According to Genesis chapter 20, the Bible says, And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in thine integrity of thine heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I not to touch her. This is the story of when Abraham and Sarah lied about <laughs> about um, uh, who Sarah was and that they were they were not married. And the king goes and takes the woman, but the king doesn't sleep with her. Even though he wanted to sleep with her, God stops him from sleeping with her uh, so that he would not, you know, commit this this moral atrocity. So God, in this passage, we see actually stops and prevents some sin. But we know that he doesn't prevent all sin based on the other. That's really interesting. And I wonder why he chooses sometimes to prevent sin. Oh, I know the answer to that. Okay. It goes back to what we said before, for his glory. 
it all has to do with his ultimate plan. It all has to do for, with his glory. He will allow some sin to fully manifest itself for his glory, and he will allow and he will allow himself to stop some sin for his glory. Now, the, the problem is that sometimes we can sit back and try to judge God and say, well, why could you allow that sin? Yeah. And the answer is, you don't know God's plan. Hmm. God is God and you are not. Now, I have a question for you as our listeners. If you can think of a time in the Bible Another example where God prevented sin from happening. I'd love to hear from you in the comments. So That's go on Facebook one, yeah. and bring it. I've got a couple that are on my mind I'm not going to mention, but I would love to hear of a time in Scripture where God prevented sin, if you can think of some. So, Also here, we see that God allows, under this concept of God allowing sin, God permits some sin, God prevents some sin. God also determines the limits to which Satan may go tempting or or tempting an individual to sin. So we see this from the story of Job. Um, Satan is uh, allowed to go in and tempt Job, but there's certain certain limits upon which uh, God, in his sovereign will, says no to Satan. So we learn that God is in control of Satan And do you know well. what that means? This has been a powerful truth. We just talked about this in a, a ladies' retreat I was at. It's amazing because what that means is that means we have victory. We can. There's never a time, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will allow us to be tempted and face a temptation above which we're able to say no to it. There's always a way of escape and a way, a way that we're able to bear it. Do you realize that that means every time that I face something, a temptation is sin tomorrow, next week, every time I do sin and fall into sin, that I don't have to, that I had the ability in Christ to overcome that temptation, that God did not allow me to face something that I was not able through him to say no to. So the only problem with this concept is that some would say, no, 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 God is not just somebody who allows sin. He is the, he is the one who is in control of even that sinful moment. He is the one that, the problem that I would have with that is that that view of the sovereignty of God is that that makes God the author of sin. He is the one who planted the sinful concept in the heart of that person to do that evil thing. It's not that God simply allowed the sin to take place because man is sinful. It's that God was the author of sin. And that's where I would say uh, the individual misunderstands the concept of the sovereignty mm -hmm. of God because God is not the author of all sin. Again, we go to James. He is not the one who is the one who is leading us into temptation. Right. And that leads to our second concept of God's um, of God's limitations uh, or what you would call allowances. his allowances. <laughs> I, I would say that God limits himself in the existence of sin and God limits himself to man's free will. Okay, how so? Okay, so the free will of man. God allows man to have a free will. He is he is not as we said before a robot without um, without choice. He has a free will. Now, we know this for several reasons. God did not have to give man this privilege but the Bible indicates that he does give this privilege. God never forces himself on an individual. Here's one such passage. In, in the book of Matthew, the Bible says Jesus arrives at Jerusalem, and he weeps over the city. And he says to Jerusalem, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that kills the prophets and stones them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together? That is, I really wanted to gather you together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. But ye would not. Here we see two wills. Mm. Jesus' will, I wanted you to come and be gathered unto me and the will of Israel. But you willed that you would not. 
And so we see two wills opposed to one another, and God allowed man's free will to say no to what Jesus really wanted. Now, that means man has a will outside of God's and that his will uh, was free to say no to God. Well, we've talked before, too, about the fact that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he gives every man the choice whether to accept or reject him. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, is is God any less benevolent than we? And he quotes the verse that you just said. Is God any less benevolent? We don't want anybody to go to hell. We don't will that anybody go to hell. Is God any less loving than we are? Do you think God in his eternal kingdom beforehand was willing and thinking, well, that person and that person, that person, they'll never have a chance? No, the answer to that question is, of course, God is more benevolent than we. And God is not willing that any should perish. But some have a free will that say, I don't want God. I choose damnation. And according to that, God allows them, like you state, he limits mm-hmm. himself and allows them to um, to damn themselves. Mm, that's really good. Okay, as an illustration of this, let's picture two horsemen. Okay. Okay, so the first horseman. I can, can you picture, picture him? him? Yes, okay. Little Joe Cartwright. So you have to go to Little Joe. Yes. <laughs> okay, what? Okay, why am I surprised? Little Joe. He's L- on his horse. Little Joe Cartwright is on his horse. You're going to love where this one goes. And okay. let's picture another horseman. Uh, let's picture one that is a little bit more distinguished, a little bit more handsome, a little hmm, bit who uh, could this be? broader in the shoulders. And uh, I'm going to say Josh Tice. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you were forced. <laughs> no, no, that didn't feel forced at all. <laughs> okay, so. all right. So there's two horsemen. The first okay. horseman, Little Joe, let's yes. say. There he is. He's sitting on a horse. Now, Cochise. Cochise is the horse's name? Yes. I'm fascinated that you know the name of that <laughs> yeah, horse. he's always on Cochise. Okay, so he's sitting on Cochise, and he's sitting on this horse, right? Now, picture, picture him there. The horse doesn't move this in the slightest. His ears don't twitch. His eyes don't blink. The tail doesn't move back and forth and sway. It is utterly, completely still. And so little Joe sits upon the horse. The other man sits upon a horse, that's me, and, <laughs> okay. that, and that horse is twitching. His eyes are blinking, his, he- his tail is swaying, uh, his ears are moving back and forth, and he's, uh, he's just kind of trotting back and forth. The question is, which is the better horseman? Well, it depends on what horse they're riding. The first horseman, Little Joe, is sitting in front of a supermarket on a, a plastic... Um, horse that took a quarter and the quarter has not been placed inside and it's not even moving you see it's a hobby horse it's a play horse it's a fake horse Mm. Uh, there is no control over that horse because or utter control i should say over that horse because the horse is not alive the other horseman that's me in this (laughs) scenario is uh is on a horse that's living it's a a gallant stallion Um, and it has complete and utter control. You say, what's the point? The point is, which is the better horseman? Is the better horseman the one who has absolute control over something that has no soul or no life or no free will? Or is the better horseman the one who has ultimate control over something that is alive and has free will over certain aspects? And that that would lead me to believe that illustrates the concept of the way God is over the sovereignty of man's free will. God allows man to have a free will, but is ultimately in control of all things. So in a sense, it takes more power and more ability yeah. 
to be sovereign over someone with a free will versus someone that's more of a puppet master. Yeah, like we said at the beginning, God is so powerful and so sovereign. He can still ultimately be in control of all things and allow man to have a free will. Well, and, that and that leads us to that third limitation yeah, of God's that, sovereignty. That people often question, what's the point of praying if God's in control and he's going to do whatever he pleases? And we believe that God limits. Allows. <laughs> the privilege of prayer. So God says, all right, I will hear and answer your prayers. That's amazing. And an illustration of that would be, one illustration would be like that of Moses. Uh, the Bible says that God comes to Moses and says, okay, I'm done with Israel. They're out. I'm going to kill them all. Mm. And Moses comes and says, stands before him and says, please don't. Don't do it. For your name's sake, for your will's sake, not even for their sake. And he prays. And sometimes we think, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do anyway. But I believe that the Bible teaches that prayer can sway the heart of God. Oh, absolutely. We see it all throughout the scripture. Um, in the Old Testament, one of the kings is praying that God delivers them. And God says, because you prayed. And he takes down. Because this one king prayed by himself up in the kingdom, he takes down this whole entire army, the, the empire of the world at the time. 10,000 soldiers lay dead on the battlefield because this king prayed. Yeah. We see... Um, uh, Nineveh. Abraham and Lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, Abraham and Lot. Uh, we see so many illustrations where God hears something. And, and I would say this. I think a great phrase to remember is prayer changes God's hand. We can't change his heart, but prayer will change his hand, mm, how he moves. It doesn't change his character, as we said, but it does change what he will actually do to accomplish that will. Now, I love it. Now, I would love to hear some comments from our folks you can go to uh you can go to our facebook page on this concept and and go to the bible talks with josh and heather comment on one of our posts or you can email us we'd love for you to email us you can email me at pastor at shbaptist.com and maybe you have a question or a comment we'd love to read those and uh, we'll address those in weeks to come yeah we've been loving going through the comments you've had i had some interesting discussions now this has been a great episode, but we look forward on our next episode to talking a bit about Israel. Israel, especially why you should take a trip to Israel. Yeah, we just came back from Israel ourselves and had a fantastic time. We're going to go back in 2019. We'd love to invite you to come and be a part of it. And maybe you'd like to travel with Josh and Heather, that's us, uh, to Israel in uh, November of 2019. We'll tell you exactly how you can sign up and be a part of that. Also, if you're interested, we do have a couples retreat that Heather and I will be teaching at uh, coming up here in March. And you can register for that even now um, by going to CoastalCouplesRetreat.com. As we close today's podcast, we want you to do one thing for us. Would you share this podcast with your friends? Let them know about it. Uh, tweet it out. Put it on Facebook. Let friends know what you're listening to, and you can have these great conversations with them. Again, thank you for taking time to listen to this episode. And remember, when the Bible talks, we'd better listen. <laughs>